We're now going to start Prime Minister's questions, and I start with Chris Green. Question number one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, today I am proudly wearing purple to celebrate International Day for Disabled People, which is, of course, tomorrow. Next year, we will publish our national strategy for disabled people, which will be the most ambitious intervention in this area for a generation, putting fairness at the heart of the government's work and levelling up so that everybody has the opportunity to fully, uh, fully to participate in the life of this country. Mr. Speaker, I know that the whole House will want to join me in welcoming the fantastic news that the MHRA has formally authorised the Pfizer vaccine for COVID-19. The vaccine will begin to be made available across the UK from next week. I would like to pay tribute to and to thank all those who have made this possible. It is the protection of vaccines that will ultimately allow us to reclaim our lives and get our economy moving again. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Chris Green. Thank you, um, Speaker. I'd like to uh, share the congratulations with the Prime Minister on the creation of this uh, new vaccine and the speed with which it's uh, got out, and to give that congratulations especially to the engineers, technicians and scientists who have delivered it. Now, I believe that we should support the widest distribution and take-up of safe and effective uh, medicines, but does my right friend agree with me that it should always be taken on a wholly voluntary basis by individuals and families? Uh, Prime Minister. Uh, absolutely, Mr Speaker. I, I, I strongly urge uh, people to, to take up the vaccine, but it is no part of our uh, culture or our ambition in this country uh, to make uh, vaccines mandatory. That's not how we do things. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Right Honourable Keir Starmer. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his comments on disabled people? And like the Prime Minister, can I start with the fantastic news about the licensing of a vaccine? This pandemic has caused so much grief and so much loss, but we're now a big step closer to the end of the tunnel. And like the Prime Minister, can I express my thanks to those of everyone in these benches and across the House, to all the scientists who've worked on this, and to everybody who's taken part in the trials. Delivering a vaccine fairly quickly and safely will now be the next major challenge facing the country. And whatever our differences across this House, we've all a duty to play our part in this national effort and to reassure the public about the safety of the vaccine. Mr Speaker, this morning a priority list has been published for the first phase of the rollout. We understand that around 800,000 doses will soon be available, and that's good news. Because of the two doses that will be required, that means 400,000 people can be vaccinated in the first batch. So can the Prime Minister tell the House who does he expect to receive the vaccine next week? Prime Minister. Uh, I'm grateful to the, to the right honourable gentleman uh, uh, for his, uh, his point about the, the rollout, and he's, uh, he's, he, let me uh, perhaps uh, just update the House on what the JCVI has, has, has concluded so far. And uh, the priority list will be residents in a care home uh, for, adult, for older adults and their carers to stop uh, transmission, uh, all those uh, 80 years of age and, uh, and older. Uh, frontline health care uh, and social care workers, uh, then all those of 75 years of age and over, 
than all those of 70 years of age and over uh, the clinically extremely vulnerable individuals, uh, and, and, and then uh, a, a, a list that I'm sure the House will want to, to study closely, but I believe does represent uh, common sense. I think it is very important at this stage for us all to recognise that this is uh, unquestionably good news. It's very, very good news. But it is by no means the end of the story. It is not the end of our national uh, struggle against, uh, against coronavirus. And that is why it's very important that the package of, uh, of moderate but tough measures that uh, the House voted for last night, the tiering system, is followed across the country because that's how we will continue uh, to beat the virus. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And the Prime Minister referenced the priority for the first phase. And as he said, the top two priority groups are residents in care homes for older adults and their carers, all those 80 years of age and over in frontline health and social care workers. Now, I'm not criticising that list in the slightest, but it's obvious that that's more than 400,000 people. And the Prime Minister will understand how anxious people in those particular groups are um, after having sacrificed so much. So can the Prime Minister tell us the answer to the question that they're going to be asking this morning, which is when does he expect that all people in those two top groups can expect to be vaccinated? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, I, I think it, at this stage it is very, very important that uh, people do not uh, get their hopes up too soon about the speed with which we'll be able to uh, roll out this vaccine. It is uh, beginning, as uh, my right friend the Health Secretary has said, uh, from next week, uh, we are expecting several million uh, doses of uh, the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine before the end of the year. Uh, we will then be rolling it out as fast as, as we possibly can. But that's why I put so much emphasis, Mr Speaker, on the continuing importance of the tiering system uh, of mass uh, community testing at the same time as we go forward through these tough winter months, because we will need, at the same time as we roll out the vaccine, and he's right to ask about, about timetables, but as we, as we roll out the vaccine over the next few weeks, Mr. Uh, Mr Speaker, we will need to keep that tough tiering and testing regimes in place. Stop. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I press the Prime Minister a bit further about the plan for care homes? And I do so because we all want this to work, because that top category is residents in care homes. Um, and that will obviously be a huge concern for many people. This morning, the Welsh Government has already raised some serious practical problems about the delivery of vaccines into care homes. That's bearing in mind the temperatures at which the vaccines have to be stored. Now, the Prime Minister must know this is going to be a four-nation problem, uh, must be aware that this problem would arise. Um, and obviously, we all want to overcome this problem. And it's in that spirit that I ask the Prime Minister... What plans has he put in place to address these particular problems of getting the vaccine safely and quickly into care homes, given the practical difficulties of doing so and the anxiety that those in care homes will have about getting it quickly? Prime Minister. Well, uh, he, I, I, he is entirely right to raise the issue of, uh, of care homes and the, uh, ability, our ability to distribute uh, this particular type of vaccine uh, rapidly uh, into care homes because it does need to be kept at minus 70 degrees as I think the House uh, understands. So there are uh, logistical challenges to be overcome to, to get vulnerable people uh, the access to the vaccine that, uh, that they need. Uh, we are working on it with uh, all four, uh, all, all, the, all the devolved administrations uh, in order to uh, in, ensure that 
the NHS across the country is able, and it's the NHS that will be in the lead, uh, is able to distribute it as, as fast and uh, as sensibly as possible to the most vulnerable groups. But he, he's right to raise that uh, particular logistical difficulty. That's why it's also important uh, that we get the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, uh, which we hope will also come on stream. And uh, while, he's, while he's paying tribute to uh, those who have been involved in the vaccines, perhaps he could uh, also pay tribute uh, to the work of the Vaccine Task Force, uh, which secured the deal with Pfizer and which uh, he, uh, I think, criticised only a few weeks ago. Gustavo. Well, I pay tribute to everybody who's got us this far and we'll work with all of them to get us where we need to go next. This has to be something which we all pull together to deliver this as quickly and safely as possible over the next few months. And I've made that offer to the Prime Minister before and I do it again. Can I, and it's really in that vein I turn to the next question, which is public confidence in the vaccine, which is a real cause for concern because that's going to be crucial to the success of getting this rolled out across the country, getting our economy back up and running. Um, as the Prime Minister knows, we've got the highest regulatory and medical safety standards in the world, um, but it's really important we do everything possible to, to counter dangerous, frankly, life-threatening disinformation about vaccines. We on this side have called for legislation to be introduced to clamp down on this with financial penalties for companies that fail to act. So will the Prime Minister work with us on this and bring forward emergency legislation in the coming days, which I think the whole House would support? Prime Minister. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, we are, of course, uh, working to tackle all kinds of disinformation across the, uh, the internet, and uh, he's right to single out the, 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 the anti-vaxxers and those who, who I think are totally wrong uh, in their approach, and uh, he's right to encourage take-up of vaccines across the, across the country. And uh, we'll be publishing a paper very shortly, Mr Speaker, on online harms uh, designed to tackle the very disinformation that he, that he speaks of. Mr Speaker, can I also urge the Prime Minister, once the Government has a communications plan for the vaccine, can he share it with the House so that we can all say the same thing in the same way to the country and thus encourage as many people to take up the vaccine as possible? Now, the arrival of vaccine is obviously wonderful news, but it will come too late to many who have lost their jobs already. And I want to turn to the collapse of the Arcadia Group and Debenhams in the last 48 hours. That's put 25,000 jobs at risk and obviously caused huge anxiety to many families at the worst possible time and threatens to rip the heart out of many high streets in our towns and cities. So can the Prime Minister tell the House what is he going to do now to protect the jobs and the pensions of all those affected by these closures? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, we're, we're looking at what we can do to protect uh, all the jobs that are being lost currently across the country. And, uh, my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for uh, Business, Enterprise and Skills, has written to uh, the Insolvency Service to look at the conduct of the Arcadia uh, directors. Uh, uh, and uh, we, will be, we will be doing everything we can to restore uh, the high streets of this country uh, with our £1 billion pound uh, high Streets uh, Fund and the, the Leveling Up Fund, Mr Speaker. But I must say, I think it is, it is a, a bit much that the, 
the right honourable gentleman should uh, attack the economic consequences of the fight against coronavirus, when last night uh, neither he nor his troops uh, could be bothered to vote for measures, uh, sensible, balanced measures that would open up the economy and allow, allow businesses uh, to, to, to trade, Mr Speaker. Uh, how can he attack the economic consequences of our battle against coronavirus when he won't even support measures to open up the economy? Mr Speaker, when I abstain, I come to the House and explain. When the Prime Minister... When the Prime Minister abstains, he runs away to Afghanistan and gives the taxpayer a £20,000 bill. Mr Speaker, on the question of jobs, there are serious questions that need to be answered about the collapse of these businesses. Uh, And I don't want the Prime Minister to deflect from that and what it means for these many families, because this isn't an isolated incident. Over 200,000 retail jobs have been lost this year. That's 200,000 individuals and their families. 20,000 stores have been closed on our high street. Um, and that's before the latest restrictions. Now, I suspect if we'd seen that scale of job losses in any other sector, there would have been much greater action already. So I urge the Prime Minister to take this seriously. Don't deflect. As well as providing emergency support, will the Prime Minister work with us, with the trade unions and the sector, to finally bring forward a comprehensive plan to save retail jobs and to provide the sector with the much greater support it needs through this crisis. These are real people, Prime Minister, with real jobs, this family, who are facing the sack. They really need to hear from you. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, we're, 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 of course, supporting every job that we possibly can, as we're supporting every life and every livelihood, Mr Speaker, with a £200 billion programme. But I'd take him more seriously, frankly, if he actually could be bothered to vote for a programme, a moderate programme, to, to keep the virus down and open up the economy, uh, Mr Speaker. And uh, we're, getting on, we're getting on with our programme, as I say, of rolling out the vaccine, of, uh, of sensible uh, tiering measures, in addition to which, Mr Speaker, we are delivering 40 more hospitals and 20 thousand more police officers Uh, and he talks about abstention Mr Speaker when it came to protecting our veterans uh, from unfair prosecution he chose uh, to abstain Uh, when it came when it came to protecting the people of this country from when it came to protecting the people of this country from coronavirus at this critical moment he told his troops to abstain Mr Speaker Captain Hindsight is rising rapidly up the ranks and has become general indecision Mr Speaker that's, that's what's happening, I'm afraid, to the right honourable gentleman. He, he, he dithers. We get on with the job. Imran Hamad Khan. Mr Speaker, next week marks one year since the Prime Minister won a mighty majority. His bold vision turned the red wall blue, ensuring our communities would no longer be neglected. As part of the PM's plan to level up, a new infrastructure bank has been promised. Mr Speaker, you know Wakefield as the crossroads of the kingdom. Our cathedral spire, the tallest in God's own country, and historically the principal city of West Yorkshire, and the pulsating, oxygenating heart of the Red Wall, all make it the perfect city for the new bank's home. Will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, commit to establish the new infrastructure bank in Wakefield and restore my city's glory? Well, my, my honourable friend is a, is a magnificent doughty campaigner for Wakefield, and I know that my right honourable friend, uh, the Chancellor, will listen very co- closely to his, uh, his uh, call for the National Infrastructure Bank to be established in, uh, in Wakefield, and he should uh, wait on events, Mr Speaker. Let's head up to Scotland with the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. 
Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. This morning, for the first time in months, people have woken up with a genuine sense of hope. The news on the vaccine approval is the news that we've all been waiting for. But, Mr. Speaker, for many, that hope on the horizon remains far too distant. There are millions who still haven't had a single penny of support from this UK government. As others rightly received help, they received none. Prime Minister, yesterday I met with Excluded UK, who represent many of these three million citizens. For the last nine months, the Excluded have been living without any help, without any hope, and it is now tragically costing lives. Prime Minister, they told me something genuinely shocking. They are aware of eight people who have taken their lives in the last 10 days. Eight people in 10 days. Prime Minister, we are now a little over three weeks from Christmas. These people need help. Will the Prime Minister commit to looking again at the support package for the excluded to ensure no one but no one is left behind? Prime Minister. Well, I, I obviously sympathise very much, Mr Speaker, with uh, those who have taken their lives and their families. And uh, this has been a very tough time for the country. We're investing massively in, uh, in mental health support uh, across the, uh, the country, as, as he knows, uh, which is, flows through in violent consequentials to, uh, obviously, to, uh, to Scotland. And we put in a huge package of support. Uh, he knows this, but I must repeat this for, for self-employed people across the country. And I know there are hard-to-reach uh, people, but they are also supported with the increases in, uh, in universal credit and the many other means of support that are currently on offer, Mr Speaker. And uh, I think when you look at the overall level of support this, this government has given to people across this country, it compares favourably with any other government around the world. Returning to Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. I have to say, and I do this with regret, Mr Speaker, that simply isn't good enough. These people need help, and I'm asking the Prime Minister to think very carefully about this. This has been an abject failure by this UK government, and the Prime Minister has been missing in action. The government has U-turned on almost everything else, so why can't the Prime Minister and the Chancellor change their minds on their support for these three million people? These are people working in construction, creative industries, events, education, hospitality, retail and healthcare, they haven't just been left behind. They've been ignored for nine months. The Chancellor has repeatedly dogged this issue. Excluded UK haven't been offered one formal meeting with the government minister. Will the Prime Minister commit today to a meeting and working with Excluded UK on a meaningful package of support? Or is the Prime Minister simply going to abandon these people three weeks from Christmas? Prime Minister. Mr. Mr. Speaker, we, we've abandoned nobody and we're continuing to support people. We're continue, we, we, have, we have announced uh, nearly four, in addition to the support I've already mentioned, we've announced uh, nearly 400, uh, 400 million to support vulnerable children and their families uh, through, the, through the winter. Uh, we've increased universal credit, as I just mentioned, uh, to the House, increased local uh, housing allowance, prov provided uh, billions more to uh, local authorities to help those who are who are hard to reach. But I may say to the, to the right honourable gentleman that the best way to help the self-employed, uh, to help the economy of this whole country, is to get, is to get us moving again uh, with, the, with the package of measures that uh, the House voted for last night uh, to, to, allow, um, to allow retail uh, to start up again, uh, to allow business uh, to start up again. The gentleman for the Scottish actually said it's shameful. 
Uh, he, I, we on this side of the House do not think retail is shameful, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, we, we, want, we, 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 want, we want businesses to open up again, Mr Speaker, and that is the, that is the nature of the package that was voted for last night, which was, I think was quite right. It is a great, great shame that the right honourable gentleman opposite could not bring himself to support it. Tom Tugendhat. Thank you, Mr Speaker. At this time of enormous pressure on our health care, can I welcome the Government and the NHS continued commitment to the new combined medical facility in Edenbridge. Now, can he confirm to me that the sale of the existing Memorial Hospital, which was built by public donation about a century ago, will now help fund the new building? Now, he is investing £20 million in the Medicines Manufacturing Fund to benefit Wales, Scotland, England and Northern Ireland. So will he join me in welcoming the skill of all those in the NHS and indeed the Health Secretary in making historic donations work for our communities today? Prime Minister. Uh, well, yes, I can, Mr Speaker, but, uh, and I, I congratulate him on his campaign. Any uh, decision uh, to allow for the sale of the hospital is, of course, a matter for the local uh, CCG, uh, but uh, I know that uh, he is fully supporting the, the £12 million uh, that we put in for the development of a new health and wellbeing centre for Edenbridge. Let's head to Wales with Liz Savile Roberts. Liz Savile Roberts. And first of all, I'd like to add my voice to welcome the licensing of the vaccine. This really is a ray of light in dark times. But uh, last week, his government published their statement of funding showing a reduction in the amount Wales receives through transport spend in England from 80.9% to 36.6%. This reveals in black and white the iniquity of the rail betrayal being inflicted on Wales. Welsh taxpayers are paying for English transport and HS2, but we don't get a fair return. Could he inform the House how much investment he is funnelling away from Wales due to his government's decision to label this white elephant an England and Wales scheme, despite not a single inch of the railway being in Wales? Prime Minister. Sorry, uh, Mr. B, I simply failed to recognise the, uh, the, the, the characterisation that the, uh, the, the Right Honourable Lady makes of, of investment across the whole of the, of the UK. The Welsh Government will, will receive an additional £1.3 billion pounds, uh, next year. Uh, we're providing uh, £240 million more to support Welsh farmers, uh, uh, £2.1 million to support fisheries in, uh, in, in Wales. And uh, the last time uh, I looked at, at, at the at transport in Wales, there were, they, the Welsh Labour government spent £144 million on uh, plans uh, for a bypass of, an M4 bypass, which they then junked, uh, Mr Speaker. Robin Miller. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The people of Abercorn, we would like to thank the Prime Minister for his early Christmas presents and this vaccine. Like many presents, we might not have made it, but this government, this union, could afford to buy it for this country. Um, Mr Speaker, I was in San Roos this Saturday talking with small businesses who have had to deal with flooding in February and the pandemic since March. All they want to do is trade. So will my right honourable friend join me in thanking Shop Vlodai, Shop Shoned and Emma James Cakes for battling through a really difficult 2020? And does he agree that this news of a vaccine and its licensing gives real hope to these three women 
These three entrepreneurs and thousands like them across the UK hope for a better 2021. Thank you. Prime Minister. Uh, yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. I, I congratulate the three uh, female entrepreneurs that he, uh, that he mentions, and they will be helped, uh, they will be helped by, the, by the vaccine, and they will be allowed to, uh, to do business again. And, and what a shame it is, Mr Speaker, that the, our, our programme, sensibly, safely to open up the economy, wasn't supported by the right honourable gentleman. Let's head up to Preston with Sir Mark Hendrick. Sir Mark. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister has put at risk the Good Friday Agreement and peace in Northern Ireland after promising the people of this country he wouldn't. He promised the country a world-beating test, track and trace system and conveniently forgotten to provide the track and trace part of the promise. He promised an oven-ready deal with the EU to win the 2019 general election and we look like having no deal. When will the Prime Minister follow through and deliver on his promises instead of behaving like a second-hand car salesman? Prime Minister. Well, if the, if, if, if the, if the Honourable Gentleman is uh, saying that he wants to uh, keep this country in the EU, uh, then I, which I think was the gist of, I, I mean, the, of what he was saying, Mr Speaker, then he's going to be sorely uh, disappointed. Uh, and, so, uh, and so will the party opposite. But because... Thank you, Mr Speaker. They said that Britain was a nation of shopkeepers and in Stockton we're proud to have some of the best retailers in the country. They've had a tough year. They're grateful for the support they've received from the government but remain concerned about the future of business rates. Can my right honourable friend confirm that the government remains committed to a fundamental review of business rates and will he join me in encouraging people to get down the local high street and shop local this Christmas. Yes. Prime Minister. Uh, yes, indeed, Mr. Speaker. And, uh, my my own friend reminds me it is, it is Small Business Saturday uh, this this Saturday, and everybody should be uh, should be shopping uh, local. Uh, but I can also I can also tell him that uh, the Treasury is considering responses to the call for evidence uh, on business rates ahead of the review's conclusion in the spring. Alex Davis Jill. Mr Speaker, we all know it will take a long time for many industries to recover from the impact of coronavirus. The aviation sector and its supply chain, which supports almost a quarter of a million jobs, has been uniquely impacted. Many workers and their families at GE Aviation in Pontypridd have been financially ruined, and I know that this is sadly a familiar scenario for families up and down the country. The Prime Minister urgently needs to wake up to the situation, so will he therefore commit to a sector-specific support deal to save our aviation industry before it's too late? Prime Minister. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, we, we, we're doing a, a huge amount to support our aviation industry, but I appreciate the, the, the stress and, and difficulties that many families are, are in at the moment because of the, uh, the, the threats to that sector, which are, which are global, alas, because people just aren't flying in the way that they were before the pandemic. Uh, but I have every hope that it will bounce back very strongly, particularly in this country, which is a world leader in aviation, once we get the economy moving again, as I hope we can. Dr Liam Falk. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In North Somerset, as in the rest of the United Kingdom, small businesses are the lifeblood of the economy, providing over 60% of all our jobs. Post-COVID, we will require a private sector, small business-led recovery. Can I ask the Prime Minister if he will consider a new discipline within the government in the form of a small business test, so that every tax, every regulation and every bit of legislation is, uh, is uh, measured against whether or not it will provide support for this sector, which will be vital for our post-COVID recovery. 
Prime Minister. Well, uh, Mr. Speaker, I, I, can, I, I thank him for uh, his excellent suggestion, and he's a great champion of, uh, of small business. Every measure the government uh, produces is judged by the effect of the impact it will have on uh, businesses large and, and small, uh, Mr Speaker, but uh, we're also providing, as he knows, for these particularly difficult circumstances, about a billion, £100 billion pounds of, uh, of business support, uh, the bounce back loans and many other forms of support. But the best thing uh, for businesses large and small uh, is shop local, as I said uh, earlier on, and allow the economy uh, cautiously and, and, and prudently to reopen. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. I want to congratulate the Prime Minister as Think Next Week marks his first year in post. However, in that time, over 71,000 Covid deaths, the highest rate in Europe. Over two trillion in debt, the worst performing economy in the G7. Failing Brexit negotiations and at least £1.5 billion of taxpayers' money spent on contracts to Tory friends and donors, whilst at the same time whipping his MPs to vote against meals for hungry children. Which one of these achievements is he most proud of? Prime Minister. Well, I, 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 think what, what she, I, I take her point more seriously if uh, she and her party uh, could be bothered uh, to vote for measures uh, that will, that will simultaneously... Oh, well, so, 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 I'm sorry, she defied, she defied the Labour Whip. Forgive me, Mr Speaker. She defied the injunction to dither uh, from, uh, from the ditherer in chief. But it would be a good thing. It would be a good thing. She, she couldn't, didn't obey you. Uh, didn't, didn't, didn't obey the instructions to dither. Uh, but it would be, I, I, take her, I take her more seriously, Mr Speaker, if her party leader uh, would vote for measures uh, that would open up the economy whilst protecting uh, lives across the UK. Let's head to Lincoln with Carl McCartney. Carl McCartney. Good afternoon, Speaker. I would like to thank my honourable friend and his cabinet colleagues for last week granting my request to fund the North Highcombe Relief Road, the final part of the Eastern Bypass around my constituency of Lincoln. I look forward to seeing internal combustion engine vehicles gliding over its smooth tarmac surface for many, many decades to come. As the Prime Minister will know, my constituents have been clear to me on recent decisions on lockdown and the, tier, and the new tier system, as they normally and refreshingly are. Lincolnshire is a very big space, and so despite my county colleagues succumbing to the wily charms of the Secretary of State for Health last night, will my right honourable friend seriously consider allowing local decision makers the chance to set tier systems locally? After all, local decision makers know their patches far better than any Whitehall official. Local businesses in Lincoln, including some excluded UK members who have yet to receive any support, are desperate to get back to work and to fire up our UK economy. Prime Minister. Uh, well, I, I repeat what I said to the House several times yesterday afternoon. I'm grateful to my honourable friend. Uh, of course, we want to reflect local conditions as closely and accurately as we can in taking our decisions about tiering, but we must look uh, at the entire national picture. And I'm just uh, on, on his point about internal combustion engines, I just remind him that a hydrogen engine can also be an internal combustion engine. <laughs> Wendy Chamberlain. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent was diagnosed with ME in 2019, and earlier this year her employer agreed that she was no longer able to work and to do the job she loved. She applied for PIP, but the DWP has ruled that she is fit to work. They have not engaged with her previous employer, who have a wealth of evidence to the contrary, and used it to reach its own decision. 
Her life has been devastated by this diagnosis. She told me the PIT process is predicted on being able to stand up for yourself, and as a disabled person, I cannot do this. So will the Prime Minister meet with me to ensure that our benefit system works for sufferers of chronic fatigue and does not limit decisions to single points of evidence? Yeah. Prime Minister. I am grateful for her question. She is raising an important issue. I know that many people suffer from the syndrome that she, uh, she describes, and I will ensure that she gets a, a proper a representation, proper meeting with the, the relevant minister to, dis, to discuss uh, the, uh, her objectives. I said to Northcom or with Scott Mann. Scott Mann. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Some in the media only discuss levelling up through the prism of the north-south divide. However, Cornwall has pockets of deprivation and many communities uh, in my constituency of North Cornwall also need investment and support. So I welcome the government's announcement of the £4 billion levelling up fund and the decision to review the Green Book so that projects outside of London and the South East are more likely to benefit from government investment. However, in light of the new spending commitments, can my right honourable friend confirm that the Shared Prosperity Fund is separate to the Leveling Up Fund, that there will be an announcement on that soon, and it will be simpler and less time-consuming for small businesses to access than the onerous EU schemes they are replacing? Prime Minister. Uh, yes, yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. I thank the, uh, my honourable friend because he's completely right uh, about the importance of uh, the new UK uh, Shared Prosperity Fund. It will be different from the, uh, the levelling up fund, and uh, we're going to work closely with, uh, with, with him and uh, with people in Cornwall uh, to make sure that we use the, the additional funding best for the needs uh, of people and communities in Cornwall. Richard Thompson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This week, the Scottish Government announced a £500 bonus scheme for our health and social care heroes who have helped us uh, care for us through the yeah. pandemic. That is a policy that the Scottish Conservatives have been trying to claim some credit, reflected credit for over the last few hours. Now, the Prime Minister is not responsible for health in Scotland, but he is responsible for it in England. So will he put his government's money where his Scottish colleagues' mouths clearly are and match that initiative, bonus initiative for health and social care workers in England? And will he instruct the Chancellor that wherever a bonus scheme like that is introduced, that the Treasury will not try to snaffle back the tax from it and let it be paid tax-free? Prime Minister. Well, uh, on, on, on the last point, of course, that's a matter for uh, the Scottish Government, which has the fiscal freedom uh, to, to do that. But I thank health and social care workers. I thank health and social care workers in Scotland and across the, the whole country. And I'm, I'm proud of the increases that we've been able to put in, 12.8% uh, over the last uh, three years, uh, and uh, a million a pay rise for a million people in the, uh, in the NHS as part of the biggest ever investment in the NHS, uh, even before COVID began, an investment that will continue under this government. Let's head to Ludlow with Philip Dunn. Philip Dunn. In 10 days' time, the government is hosting the UN Climate Summit ahead of COP26 next year. I urge the Prime Minister not to curb your enthusiasm for the environment. And will he show international leadership by setting out an ambitious but achievable target for emissions in 2030 as the UK's nationally determined contribution on the path to net zero Britain? Prime Minister. Uh, well, I'm, I'm proud, Mr Speaker, that the UK led the way in instituting a, a target of net zero by, uh, by 2050. Of all the developed nations, we were the, uh, we were the first, and uh, we're looking at our, uh, our national, uh, nationally determined contribution, which will be extremely ambitious and will be published around the time of the, uh, the Climate Summit on the 12th of December this year. 
Final question, heading to Scotland with Drew Hendry. Drew Hendry. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister mentioned universal credit earlier. His and his, uh, the, the Chancellor's decision to increase universal credit by £20 a week during the pandemic was an admission of what my constituents have known for years, that universal credit simply isn't enough to live on. In January, his government will cap the benefits of thousands of universal credit claimants. The average losses will be £250 per month, mainly to families with children. He already knows it's not enough to live on. So will he now commit to scrap the cap and to guarantee to continue the £20 per week uplift? Or is he going to throw these families to the wolves too, just like the three million excluded? Prime Minister. Uh, I really, Mr. Speaker, I just repeat the point I made uh, earlier on about the, uh, the huge sums the government has invested in, in looking after families, lives, uh, and livelihoods across the whole of the UK, well north of £200 billion. Pounds now, uh, an uplift of universal credit, as he rightly says, of £1,000. And uh, we will continue to support uh, families across this country throughout the pandemic. But the, the objective must be, as I hope he would agree, to get the economy moving again and get people uh, back into work in the way that I think everybody would want. And it is a fact, Mr Speaker, that uh, under this government, uh, in spite of all the difficulties we have faced, the unemployment rate is lower in the UK than it is in, in France, in Spain, in Italy, uh, in Canada and the United States. And uh, we will continue to work to look after every job that we can.